Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series Solo Apocalypse, taken from Royal Road. If you're new to this series, there is a playlist listed down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 14 Over the course of the next few days, my course diverted from the survivor camp. I felt the distance like a physical thing, a growing isolation even more apparent with my clone there, teaching at the few who would listen what was edible and what was not. First, foraged and scouted, learning what he could and teaching when not. The people from the library had been eating whatever looked edible. A number of them had experienced some side effects that I had already endured myself. Apparently, one of the greatest contributors to leveling was overcoming adversity. Dangers. I thought that it had come from killing monsters. That's when my own level-ups had occurred. This way made more sense. I also found out that I was the highest level person in the camp. Name, Evan Winst, level 9, class solo, strength 6, constitution 6, dexterity 5, agility 6, perception 9, intelligence 10, wisdom 17, willpower 19, charisma 4, luck 4, stat points 4. Skills, never alone, low profile. I had reached level 9 a few days ago, with no apparent bonuses. The highest level in the camp was 5, and I wondered if it was because they had safety in numbers or if it was a result of veil of safety effects lessening what they would otherwise have to face. Or, simply, a testament to the absolute hell that I had been through. I kept my stat points to myself, entirely unsure where to place them. Plainly speaking to three attributes that affected never alone were the obvious pecs. However, I hesitated for the fact that there might be an enemy or danger that no amount of clones could combat. If no amount of my physical stats could ever overcome an obstacle, then the number of my clones would never matter. Did that call for placing points in those stats, or should I stick to what I knew? Instead, I bided my time, nervous, slightly, at the thought of hoarding something that could potentially save my life now, as opposed to making it better later. Still, I hoped I was out of immediate danger. I had been, aside from the first couple of days, so a little preparation for the future might not be a terrible idea. How quickly the mind adapts, I said to myself, picking over the knoll roots. I still had nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night, of getting beheaded, stabbed, eaten, of getting my eyes scotched out. The worst part was that the mind could play these nightmares with the knowledge of how it actually was. Second, third, and fourth were the clones were still with me. They were in positions such that I was in the center of a triangle. They at the points. I could admit I was scared, terrified of this world, but I also had come to learn the swamp was beautiful, the forest magnificent. Giant pods of murky water interspersed with bridges of roots. Vines hung down from the trees above, filled with birds of all kinds. Moss covered every single surface it could grow on, touching the dreary palette of the swamp with muted brightness. Some of the wildlife, some, were familiar. The birds could have even been from Earth. There were frogs, croaking in the night, that looked no different than what I knew. Fish close enough to the surface of the water that I could confirm that they were the same. But then, there were the dino-gators, which did little but give the mind an idea of what to expect. Alligators or crocodiles in form, but thicker and larger and longer. More lumbering, maybe the size of a hippo. Yet, with an explosive speed I'd witnessed many times over watching anything edible near the waters. The wolves, which were less wolf and more something else. They had a fur and four-legged form, but the creatures were entirely alien otherwise. 
Two large eyes sat in a predatory head. I avoided them whenever I could. They moved alone aside from when they were with the young. Then the goblins, though, I equated them to some feral swampy analogue of primates, only without the fur, but green skin that mud and water seemed to slide right off of. Reptilian, in a way. It wasn't until I'd observed for longer I realized that they were amphibious as well. They dwelled in the water with ease. I'd been walking on a large route, the largest I'd ever found, and had simply followed it. The thickness had been steady until today. Today, it grew larger, which confirmed I was heading to a tree rather than away from it. The forest cleared suddenly, and I was staring at something unimaginable. The tree was such that its heights were lost in the midst of the sheer distance. The roots were enormous at the base, stretching and branching into an entire network that dug into the ground or plunged into pools of what surrounded the base. That wasn't what made it unimaginable. It was a skyscraper that was spiced into its side, an enormous building made small, cutting right into the side of the tree like it had been transplanted there, barely a third as tall as the tree itself. I could see the swamp already coming to envelop it, moss and vines hanging from its highest points, birds perched atop the roof. As if it had popped into reality, the windows and its such were still intact, the majority of the structure unbothered. Another building, what's more, were the figures below at the base, people, more survivors, but so far away from insignificant that my thumb could cover their entirety. I took a seat there, on the edge of the route, right before it dipped down below the pools of twisting paths below. My original self, that is. I sat there staring at the man-made marvel, made to look so insignificant, yet so uncomprehendingly large all at once. Holy crap, I whispered, wondering just what happened to Earth. Notice, you have leveled up to level 10. Notice, you have gained the class skill Solo Instinct. End of chapter. Chapter 15 It was like another set of eyes opened, like my skin breathed, and every hair on my body could speak. And then, more. Like another sensory organ had opened itself up to me, only it gave me an awareness of myself and the world around me in an inexplicable way. A blessing for someone moving around dangerous places alone. Skill. Solo's instinct. You have an innate sense for your immediate surroundings, an uncanny awareness of potential harm, opportunity, and the world around you. Multiplied further by the presence of my clones, it gave shape to the way I would be carrying myself in this apocalypse, a network of stealth and awareness. The level up had come out of nowhere and gave me credence to my theory I had. I'd leveled when acting in accordance with my class. I'd been alone, solo. Sure. First I'd been with a group of people, but I'd chosen a more independent way, and discovered a marvel. Class aside, I wasn't naive enough to think that I would brave the apocalypse alone, though I was certain I was amongst the most capable to do so. It took me an hour to make it to the vast tree, that skyscraper that looked like a bastion of humanity, despite the fact that it had been in my view that entire time. The distance between us had been immense, compounded, compounded by the uneven terrain. I was curious and hopeful. These people seemed less haggard than those from the library, and in truth, I hadn't been expecting to find anyone else, let alone in these numbers. Hey, check it out! A muddied man nudged another stranger. Both wore business attire, 
ripped at the sleeves and knees. Had they been office workers before all of this, working in the skyscraper? Another group, one whispered. There were more? There was a handful of whispers around, but no one stopped me. Maybe that was because I walked in a group of four, that I seemed so imposing, or that I had come straight from the wilderness. The place looked like a refugee camp. There was no organization here. People gathered in small groups, congregating around a larger hall. But that was it. My presence wasn't questioned. It was just remarked upon, as if they were blind to the danger of this place. I found a throng of people debating in the open, at the base of the skyscraper. My clones melted into the crowd, listening. I made myself small, standing to the edge of the group. We can't stay here forever, the burly man argued, crossing his arms. We need to get out of the swamp, or we'll starve. Mine would relieve a perfectly good shelter. Jackson gives us fresh water. The building... I tuned out once I got the gist of the debate. To stay or to go. The same conversation I assumed the people from the library had. Only this group was much larger, and had much more better place to stay. If they decided so. Something itched at my back, though. I wasn't sure what exactly it was, but Solo's instinct was kicking into overdrive. Something was wrong here. The certainty was like a pit in my stomach. We can't stay here forever. We need to get out of the swamp or we'll starve. The pitch, the tone, the volume was all exactly the same. Why would we ever leave a perfectly good shelter? Jackson gives us fresh water. The building is all the shelter we need, came the response. What was happening? I looked around and realized people were barely moving, or rather, they were just the same motions. All of my clones started looking around, moving closer towards me. And then I spotted something that chilled me to my core. A sapling, embedded into the stranger's neck, roots piercing into the skin, spreading like veins, barely visible under their hair and then clothes. Everyone had them. One of my clones stayed at my original self. I saw it like some wriggling worm or a stick bug, just made of roots, a small thing, crawling up my arm. I smashed it in a small spray of sap. The clones checked each other, smashing two more, and then I was running, running from these people. I had walked into a trap, a large group like this. Why wouldn't they be attacked? They were too lax, too easygoing for all this to all be real. I caught my breath, looking backwards, and realized nothing had followed me. No one had followed me. Whatever it was, it had been dead to rights. Why? What happened? Was it controlling these people? Were they already dead? It looked like a... a parasite or something. That thing was embedded right into the spinal cord. I'd seen the roots spreading upwards towards the head and downwards across the spine. Those people were possessed by something. I knew they were. So, why didn't they chase me? Skill. Low profile. You are immune to unwarranted magical or technological scrying. Abilities, spells, or equipment that reveal your location are negated. Your presence can only be detected by physical senses. I was breathing hard, and any semblance of peace that I had was shattered. I thought dying would be the worst fate offered to me. I'd been wrong. There was more to fear than something so merciful. I stared at the dozens of figures across the roots, a shadow across my face. It was some kind of magical parasite then, and it hadn't noted my presence. That little thing had seen me, crawled on me, but the people who were enthralled hadn't seen me. There had to be some kind of other sense, negated by low profile. 
the only thing that had saved me in the end, and all these people had fallen prey to it. I realized that I wasn't just staring to the single group of people transported by the skyscraper, but countless others that had been lured here. End of chapter. Chapter 16. My breath came rapidly as I tried to calm down. I almost laughed at myself. I thought I'd be used to this by now, but this? It had shattered whatever notion I had about humanity persevering. What I thought might have been a bastion of survivors was nothing but a death trap. Then there were people still stuck in there. Something, however, made me stare at the skyscraper. Was it solo instinct? The vines and roots that had entwined, coding as if possessive, gnarled. From here, far away, yet close enough to see, a creature, a being, moved and writhing, if only minutely, like staring at the clouds and not realizing that they had taken a new shape. Suddenly, I felt small. Field boss, root mother hive mind, an enormous organism that subjugates all life around it. It is native to humid environments and often operates from submerged caves, hollowed trees, or other large structures. Its roots can spread across the entire ecosystem, effectively dominating the land. What the feck, I breathed, realizing I was staring at a single living thing, one the size of a skyscraper. I was out of my depths and the panic kicked in, a hysterical fear that I barely managed to squash on account of apparent immediate safety. Still, my hands were shaky as I stared at this thing, my eyes wide, my face pale. A field boss. Anyone who'd come anywhere near wouldn't have stood a chance. It wasn't fair. It was luring other survivors who'd powered through the initial shock, only to end up here. I watched, mutely, helpless, as a group of people walked into the skyscraper. I, uh, I couldn't help these people. It was impossible, unfeasible, even for someone like me. This was that obstacle, where multiple me's were useless. I wanted to turn around. Oh, I wanted it so bad to leave these people and condemn them to the cell. To forget. But I couldn't. I refused. Not even daring to shift an inch in the opposite direction. Could I ever look at myself again? If I did. It was Horace all over again, I realized. This time, if I save a single one, I'll call it a win, I grimaced. I spent the better part of a day tackling the biggest problem. That weird insect that was no doubt a vector of the root mother hive mind's control. It took a careful clone to discover their nature. They came from the pools around the skyscraper. They were wriggling right under the water, a few leaving every now and then, only to return back to the pool. I didn't think that they could leave for any long amount of time, not unless they found a host. I read the description of the field boss again. They like humid environments, right? Is this why? Staring at the pool sent a shiver down my spine. It must have been thousands, just in a single pool, waiting for something to come close enough. I could trace roots from the skyscraper, plunging into those pools, spreading outwards. An entirely different root system than the enormous tree in the center of it all. Smaller, if only relatively. I climbed to a higher vantage point, on the edge of the immense clearing that the giant tree commanded. Far away from the field boss, from here. I thought I could see the difference in the root structure. The swamp's tree's roots were thicker and only thinned minutely as they expanded. The root mother hive mines were still in the scent, stemming from the skyscraper, 
and much smaller compared to the swamps. I perched her as my clones roamed below, safe as I could manage. Second stayed with me as third and fourth did reconnaissance. I functioned as overwatch, noting the movements of those possessed, grimacing at the routine I saw. Third and fourth heard snippets of the same conversations, saw the same movements, and people noticed me. I saw it in their eyes, but the rude mother hive mind did not. I watched as third and fourth found someone fairly isolated, far from any pool of water, and subdued them. As soon as I knocked him onto the ground, I spotted three other groups start moving towards him. I flipped the unconscious man over, hand going for the sapling on his neck, and I hesitated. There were footsteps now, eerily silent, despite the rush of their movement. I was running out of time. I'd barely had a minute to think. Back, I grimaced, watching third and fourth abandon him. Can't be sure it won't kill him. Second spoke from behind me. Grave. He was leaning against the trunk, watching my back. But if not that, then what? My eyes drifted to the skyscraper as my clones pulled out. The enthralled survivors swarmed around the unconscious man, but made no move to follow me. If even they could. I frowned, regarding the swamp, and began to make a slow circuit of the pools. I traversed the knolled terrain with relative ease, climbing over roots and overlapped, twisted, and curled every which way. My aim was the side of the clearing closest to the skyscraper, to the root mother. Once I got there, I had a better view. On the other side of the skyscraper, I found a parking lot full of cars, employee parking. Vines grew over the entire thing, roots grasping at tires and trying to inch between the car windows, breaking apart cement and bursting through any cracks. Had the terrain been anything else, a car might have been useful. I held both my palms up and boosted myself up to the next ledge. The clone reached down, pulling me up, rinse and repeat. Here I was out of range of the thing, at least from its roots. Low profile meant I didn't have to worry whether or not it saw me. The building had a number of unobstructed entrances, though just as many were blocked by the thing's tendrils. The pit of my stomach grew as I watched another group of survivors herded inside. The door opened, people walked in, and I had just the barest moment to witness something jerk all of them away before the door closed again. Then something stupid crossed my mind, and damn it, I couldn't ignore it. My gaze drifted to the parking lot. End of chapter. Chapter 17 Skylar Industries. The name meant nothing to me. Not here, not now. The silver lettering was far from pristine, caked with dirt, dust, and whatever other particles of swamp matter might be in the air. There was a company that owned the building. Past tense. Because now, it belonged to some horror of the apocalypse. Maybe the corporate drones that worked here suffered a fate not so different from their norm. My plan fell through. It had been a stupid plan to begin with. I didn't know how to siphon gas. Then even had I known, was I supposed to just waltz in and start dousing the place? My eyes shadowed, drifted over to the wandering people below. Twice I had seen the wolves come for one of the thralls, only for the rest to come to their aid instantaneously. Three times I had witnessed the same for goblins, only they hadn't fared well, unable to run away. I stared at the parking lot. Elsewhere, across the swamp, and far from the field boss, Nicholas raised a brow. Siphoning gas, he asked. Where'd that come from? In case we run into a car, I guess, Burr shrugged. The question came off as a non-sector without context. In a swamp, he said plainly. 
If we ever get out of here, that is, I replied. It might come in handy. Who knows? He sighed. Guess that's how we have to think about things now, he said. Siphoning gas, sir. All you need is a hose, your mouth, and a container. One end in the car, the other end in your mouth. Suck until the fuel hits, then move the other end to the container. Huh. I, I wasn't really expecting an answer, I said, blinking. You'd be surprised at how many random bits of knowledge you pick up as a librarian. I can't remember if this one's from the mechanic's handbook or some guidebook on how to be a man, Nicholas said. At the same moment, I was frantically going through my spider silk backpack. I managed to come away with a large plastic jug, currently filled with water. It had been empty in one of the laboratory's cabinets, and my best guess was that it was used to hold large amounts of chemicals. It didn't matter. It was a container. At the same time, Second sliced open a vine revealing a hollow interior that sometimes held water. The hose. A trick I'd learned from observing the goblins. A source of fresh water. Or, in this case, gasoline. I sent my clones down, picking my way carefully across the terrain and towards the parking lot, dodging the field boss's roots. They plunged into the shallow pools here too, and I steered clear of the parasitical insects. Once I got down, I uncapped the gas tank of the red truck, and looked around and got to work. I fed the vine into the gas tank and managed to get some suction going, spitting out the fuel and redirecting it to the plastic jug as my eyes widened. It worked, I whispered, watching the liquid flow. I was simultaneously filled with hope and terror because it meant my stupid plan was now something that warranted a real attempt, and that there was a chance. I waited a minute for a jug to fill up. The plastic took a slight yellowish hue, when it was full, it was a lot of gasoline and yet not nearly enough for what I planned. My heart was racing because the next step would determine any success of this plan. I purposely avoided the entrance the root mother hive mind had sent people into. Instead, my clones cleared the emergency exit, pushing open the door and finding a decidedly normal office towards the other end of the skyscraper. Except there were roots, writhing and twisting, moving ever so slightly like tentacles, everywhere. They crawled across the walls, curled up the ceiling, and spread across the floor. They were more active here than outside, and across the room. I spotted one that was particularly prehensile, the kind I'd seen before the door had closed on the, those poor people. I kept away from that one. And yet, I'd gone unnoticed. I scoured the room for any dangers, my clones moving in silent rhythm, watching each other's back, moving like a fluid I checked every cubicle, every wall, every hallway on that floor, tracing the roots. They came from above, thickening, as they rose into the skyscraper, which meant the main body of the thing had to be on the higher floors. That was perfect for me. I looked at the floor pan posted on the wall, some strange vertigo overcoming me. Checking something so normal, was it wrong that being in this building was more comfortable than the weeks I'd been in the swamp? I dumped the gasoline on the floor, around the walls, desks, and anything remotely flammable. I hoped that the field boss roots weren't as waterlogged as the swamps. But even then, with enough heat, it shouldn't be a problem. I started at the relatively small section of soaked floor and took a breath. It would take a while to cover the whole floor and douse everything. Longer if I wanted to be more thorough and try the other floors. I wasn't naive enough to think that I might be afforded a second chance. Then uh, I saw a goblin wandering down the hall, oblivious to me, at least in the general sense. 
His eyes followed me, some perceptive instinct ingrained into its body, but its purpose was obviously a patrol of some kind. The root mother hive mind saw nothing. It walked right past me, a sapling embedded in its neck. I nearly attacked it on the wild instinct, but I immediately calmed myself, remembering what happened the last time I attacked a thrall. The place had been flooded with others similarly possessed. The same restraint probably saved me the whole lot of trouble. I needed easy access to the floor, and setting a root mother off would not be ideal. It made sense that the heart of the field boss would be more protective, and checking the first floor, I found there were only two other goblins. They hadn't even moved in response to me, but then I hadn't bothered to other ends of the floor yet. There were only three, and they wandered practically aimlessly. Enough for a warning and nothing more, if they were to see me. Still, the oversight led me to the center of the building. A large hole was taken out of the skyscraper, cored like an apple. In its place, a mass of roots and tendrils leading upwards to an inky blackness my eyes couldn't penetrate. I saw blood on the floor. I realized I was looking at where the thing uh, ate. End of chapter. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 18 I watched from above as third and fourth siphoned more gas. I'd lost count of how many trips that they'd done, but there was certainly no shortage of fuel. Parking must have been a nightmare for Skylar Industries. After standing there, in the center of the building, right in front of the doors where people had walked in, seeing that blood, not the scarlet color of life and oxygen, but the dark stain of obsidian crimson. Emotions bubbled in my chest, unbidden. That simmering chill. I thought the cold that came with that anger was indestructible, a glacier. But this hell had proven again and again that something could shatter it. I thought anger brought my focus to a razor's edge. Instead, I'd broken down, cried, vomited, and screamed. I've had nightmares over the past two weeks of dying, of failing, of all the twisted horrors that were still to come. I was paranoid, checking over my shoulder, feeling phantom pains where I was injured. It wasn't anger, truthfully. How could someone be sure of something like that? Maybe it was just a front, a ruse to distract myself from what I really felt. It was an emotion directed at everything, and yet nothing at all, pointless and meaningless. It was a familiar feeling, that sucking sensation of something worse than just muddy shoes, a black hole that drained all energy, a bottomless pit of quicksand at the bottom of the ocean. It was despair, hopelessness. I knew, I knew I was just some guy, I knew that, and I was no one special. No one near qualified to face whatever hell a field boss meant beyond the instinctive connotation. I wasn't military. I wasn't some great leader or fighter. I hadn't even graduated college. But damn, I wasn't about to give up. I didn't think of myself as a hero. The notion suggested I did this out of some desire to play out of fantasy. In a dream, maybe. Not this hell. Not this nightmare. Where a field boss existed that could take over someone's will. How much more would fall to this trap if this rude mother hive mind was left alone? I'd spent the better part of two days watching it, dousing the floors, three of them now. It expanded by water. It was just a hunch that I felt more and more confident on. Every body of water, every pool it touched spawned those strange insects, unable to leave the water. 
It was why I hadn't seen anything possessed up until now. For the same reason, I hadn't been outright mind-controlled by the second I wandered through the small body of water. By sheer, dumb luck. The giant swamp tree's root system had isolated the creature from any larger bodies of water. Instead, its roots only accessed the small pools created by the large root systems of the swamp. It was cut off from any major waterways and couldn't spread further. But its tendrils were growing, creeping further, enough to see with the naked eye, maybe a meter in length over the course of two days. I tracked down the longest tendril, watching it. It was still a long way from the edge of the clearing, but from there it was only a short reach to the waterlogged terrain that I'd been traversing for the last two weeks. It was only a matter of time. Three floors were doused in gasoline. From the moment I walked in, the sweet smell was potent enough to give me a slight headache. I was cautious of the fumes, wearing one of the safety lab masks on each of my clones from the science boat. If there was a smell of flammable fire, I said, this was it. You think three floors is enough? I said, outside watching the building. From what I could gather from my observation, the root mother hive mind was in somewhat docile state. Its actual body didn't move very much, aside from the passive writhing motions of its roots. I attributed its lethargy to some kind of energy preservation, that it was focusing on growing its roots since it had no further information on its behavior. I was apprehensive, weighing the completeness of flammability against the time until it might summon more innocence to its mouth. It hadn't, not since I'd seen them the first time, thankfully. It had just served up to put more pressure on me. I was on a clock. I had no idea how the fire would realistically take to the building. Three floors were a lot, and fire spread upwards. But I was nervous. I began dragging in any dry wood or flammable tinder I could find. Branches, dust, etc. Anything and everything that was dry. I had the manpower and, uh, I hoped, the time to spare. Well, uh, might as well do a fourth, I told myself, if I'm taking the time to do all of this. And so I did. Uncap a random car, feed the vine into the tank, suck, siphon, build the jug, drag anything I could find that would burn into the building, climb four floors of stairs, douse the floor, repeat. It was hard, manual. Labor, all done through my clones who had half my physicality, which meant it felt all the harder and probably took twice as long. It was an easy price to pay for safety. I was taking virtually no risk. The problem was that it wasn't my life that was at risk. It was everyone else's. Solo instinct went off. It was something like an itch, a tick, an ache combined. Like something had caught my eye at the edge of my perception. Only the equivalent to that as it related to other senses I had combined. A sudden, pressing, and an absolutely certain intuition. It wasn't my original self that was feeding it. It was my clients. Inside, I whirled around, feeling the building groan and creak, the roots and tendrils strewn about the floor and walls, normally dormant and lethargic, began to twist and turn, as if the entire building was stretching. The field boss. That was the only one aspect of solar instinct going off. The clones couldn't see exactly what it was that made them worry, what urged them to act. But no single part of me needed to. Only one needed to see for the whole. Every single person was walking towards the skyscraper. End of chapter. Chapter 19 We need to leave, I yelled to myself. The building was shaking, the roots swaying across the floor like tripwires. 
I couldn't be sure if the root mother hype mind could feel, but I was the last person who wanted to figure it out. It was an unhealthy to refer to myself as we, anything to keep myself calm. There were people walking towards the doors again, this time everyone. We need to light the fire, I told myself, hating it, and risk everyone. I wasn't sure why, but giving my clones each one side of my conscious helped me work through the problem. They'll burn as they come in. Both of our eyes widened. The goblins. Where are the goblins? We ran through the halls, scrambling, and found our quarry. Taking one down nowadays was so brutally easy. No one should have had this much practice. Still, we took it down. And maybe the field boss wasn't paying attention, but it didn't react. I'd never risk this on a human. A goblin, though. I stared at my counterpart, holding a lighter in one hand, put it against the surface of the entire floor. Along with the next three floors would be up in flames. My clone stared at the goblin in my arms, struggling. We'd both pinned it against the floor, face down. Then we ripped the sampling out of its neck. It jerked, screaming. The noise was uncomfortable. I held firm, staring at it. I saw the roots spreading up and down its neck, piercing the skin. Die! The entire process didn't look pretty, nor peaceful. The thing was thrashing, genuine cries of pain. But it lived. I checked the floor pan, tracked the survivors outside, nodded to myself, and flicked the lighter. Dropped it. It fell almost in slow motion, every sense of mine watching it. A catalyst of fire, a small flame no bigger than a candle against a field boss. I watched it as I ran, not for my life, but for everyone else's. The goblin sprinted away. I'd inspect the air to catch fire first, the first floor. It exploded in a fireball of roaring flames tearing into my back with searing heat and sending me forward. Flames raced through the floor as if they were alive and hungry. I screamed like I was being boiled alive, my clothes melting into my skin. My world was fire and lava. Outside, my original self was writhing on the floor, suppressing the scream if only because it was a distant pain. Teeth clenched, knuckles wiped, something allowed me to power through, and I wondered if it was those extra points at will. It still didn't lessen the pain, the torture. Through inexplicable agony and fire, I stared at the people, eyes flicking between focus and glazed pain. They were still walking. From above, the first floor was blown out, glass and debris rained across the base of the skyscraper. The next explosion sent me to the ground inside. Outside, the shock wave and the heat were strong breeze and warmth. Below, it was a hellfire. I was thrown to the ground, pressed to the floor, flames around me, melting. Black smoke and water raining down, sprinklers. I laughed uselessly, thankful. I didn't realize it, but one of me had died instantly. I turned around, staring through the blazy haze of heat, and found the goblin first, on fire and dead. Every movement was agony, torturous hell. And somehow, I found my feet. I raced to the exit, coughing and hacking, cutting my way through curtains of flame and drips of smoke. Instead, I found the door blocked. A mountain of debris, another explosion. I staggered, barely conscious. I'm not going to make it, I cried. Not third. It was down below. His throat was dry, instantly parched. It was second, beside me, who spoke. Calmer than I had any right to be. Go, oh, I said. And he did, leaving me alone, unprotected. It was the most vulnerable I'd ever felt since the first day. I couldn't focus enough to produce another clone to replenish myself. All I could do was watch, eyes glued to the chaos below, melted to it. Second rushed across the roots, moving with grace with months of practice. 
two weeks of moving through this terrain multiplied by my clones. I was no expert, but I was certainly experienced by now. He collided with the first survivor and ripped the sapling out. It was this or allow them to walk into the burning building. Immediately, perhaps noticing due to proximity, the other thralls swarmed. I dodged around, solar instinct somehow allowing me to see holes between them and spaces where I could move. How I could move. Because I wasn't. I was staring at the field boss. All of the roots were writhing, curling up, away from the flames, drying up like worms in the sun. And I hadn't heard. Not at first, but there was a noise in the air. More than just fire and flame. It was screaming. A terrible, high-pitched keening worse than anything I'd ever heard once I noticed it. It wouldn't leave my ears. Inside, my hand was against the wall. I was limping, coughing, barely conscious. My entire back was charred. My skin was boiling. The heat was scorching and... Uh, another explosion. And I watched the fourth floor collapse. In fact, the entire skyscraper folded into itself, collapsing a single story down. The weight of the entire structure erasing the first floor. Just as I watched, a glutteral scream unbidden escaped from my throat. I was being crushed till I burned and like a curse was still conscious of it all. My entire body seized up as if every bone and muscle should have been. My brain worked against itself, trying to feel what knew it should be lost. Phantom spasms conveyed through a clone brought to the brink of death. A pain of existence that was paralyzing. The feeling of every organ crushed, my own ribs piercing my flesh, of knowing exactly how your insides felt on account of them being impaled, crushed, burned, and otherwise flecked with. I vomited, spewed, as I doubled over in pain. The torture, finally enough. Second staggered below, and he was swarmed. Focus. The word was yelled from the internal fog from the bottom of a well, echoing upwards in fading intensity. Focus! Part of my brain woke up and second found his feet, tearing another sapling, punching, kicking, never drawing his knife. I needed to make another clone. I was in no shape to watch myself, but maybe I could. That didn't make sense. Why didn't it? My thoughts drifted past me, like wisps of smoke. Smoke? Why was that? I had the faint certainty that I was screaming when I passed out. End of chapter. Chapter 20 I woke up screaming, writhing like a spider set on fire, like someone had plunged knives into my brain, unimaginable agony and terrible sense of wrongness permeating my entire being. My mind shattered, bent and adapted. So many traumas and the mind was plastic. I couldn't say if I was the whole of me that endured all the sum of my parts. If my strange abilities could even be considered extra to myself. I gasped, sitting up straight. I didn't even have to turn my head to see what was happening because new third and fourth already were. The skyscraper was on fire, a writhing abomination, trapped with nowhere to go but upwards, futile tendrils of roots grasping at the swamp tree, trying to climb, or search for some escape. The thing was half the size of the building, a central core entangled in tentacles of organic mass, a gaping maw hidden between hideous, Help me! Save me! Save me! I jerked forward, ready to throw myself to the fire without a moment's thought, only my mind was stronger, and inside the palace that was my mindscape, I turned, terrified, to stare at the thing inside my castle. A collection of infectious tentacles, a mockery of the root mother hive mind scratched in my mental walls. No, it was already inside, piercing my walls, embedding itself into 
Save me! Save me! Save me! I staggered, staring around wildly. Third checked my neck, then I checked his and fourths. It had infected me somehow. One of my clones, Save me! Save me, dying death! Ah! I screamed, clutching my head. Then I screamed louder as the incessant tide of thoughts ran over my own thinking. My mind was being torn apart with increasing desperation. My eyes opened and, for a split second, I was staring at second. Second, my clone that had been down there ripping saplings from the survivors, trying to save whoever I could, and he had been infected in the process. I growled, sick of the pain and torture. I hated this thing, hated all of this pain. I grabbed the cursed thoughts with an effort of mental willpower and squeezed. Emotion sharpened my focus. The staggering thoughts of the twisted intruder dented my own. I didn't care. It was my damn head. I was a man who had died three times. Four. Couldn't even remember. The thought was hysterical. I had been beheaded, impaled, crushed to death, burned alive. And more. And now. Now, now I was supposed to give in to some unholy abomination that was just begging for help. Yeah, fucking right. I didn't even think of how any of this was possible. I just traced the thoughts invading my own, strangled them, and killed them. The root mother screamed, a high-pitched keening lost amongst the other cries. Below, second blinked, and I immediately felt at my neck. The sapling had withered and I tried not to pay attention to the burning sensation up my neck and back. The trail of roots had taken through my system. Instead, I began ripping saplings again, throwing survivors anywhere that wasn't a pool. There was a whole crowd of people making their way to the skyscraper. Up above, I was exhausted, breathing hard, sweat dripping down my brow, my wide eyes staring at the root mother. Then my expression slipped to something like anger. Don't let her get a single fucking one, I growled. And then my clones rushed down there, gracefully jumping across the roots. Anyone I came into contact with, I took their separate, reveling, in the knowledge that some minor backlash found its way to the bastard root mother above. There was a group closer than anyone else, and I ran for them. All three of me did. They were reheading straight for the one of the prehensile tendrils, as if the root mother was beckoning them to its hands, like mindless drones. The roots whipped outwards and I tackled the first man down, rearing out of its sampling before pushing him away and scrambling to my feet. Third shoved another woman out of the range and into second's hands. I ripped another sampling. Fourth yanked a little girl away by the arm hard enough to sprain it. Better that than being eaten. I took care to remove her sampling. Third handled another stranger, the second. There were just too many people at risk and the rest of the crowd catching up. Just fucking die already! The original me screamed from above, a smoldering glare as if it would burn it faster. The thing was already dead, and it was still trying to claim lives. Solo's instinct acted up, and one of my clones whirled around. There was a girl around my age, wandering forward, somehow getting past me. Third rushed towards her. At the same time, her voice, Get them down! Pull them away, damn it! Help him! And second found a pair of hands forcing another mindless thrall down. A pair of hands... That weren't mine. A man stared up at me, clearly drained in some way, but eyes alive. How do we help them? He asked me. His face was stony determination, searching. In response, I rolled the unconscious woman over and ripped out the sapling. I looked at him. Stay away from the pools. He stood up, and I realized there were more people rushing into the crowds. The little plants in their neck! Rip them out! And stay away from the pools! Got it, someone called back. 
Rope the saplings, keep away from the water, he yelled. And suddenly, the previously silent clearing was full of voices, survivors, extra hands to help, people who were workers before, passerby, or other staff in the skyscraper. Names were thrown out and I realized that these people knew each other personally. Why wouldn't they? I couldn't think too long on it. I grabbed the wandering girl's leg, just as a tendril wrapped around her torso. It was a smaller one, and along with her weight, I was able to keep her from being dragged upwards. If I'd been my original self, I could have dragged her down, but my physicality was halved and I was already exhausted. Not on my watch, I said through gritted teeth. Muscles strained. I shifted my hold, pulling down on her shoulders from under her armpits. Then I reached around her neck and removed the sapling, watching her senses come back to her. She blinked, fog leaving her gaze, and started sputtering. What's happening? She struggled. Stop! I yelled at her. Stay still, dammit! And I reached down with my knife and began to saw at the tendril. The root flinched, and above, another set of my eyes saw another tendril coming down to help. I cursed. Help! I need help over here! And someone answered. My clones were handling other stragglers, unable to come to my own aid. Instead, a stranger. The man that had first helped second. Strong hands found the woman and his voice as hard as a rock, helping me drag her down. Stay calm, miss. We'll get you down. His eyes glanced to my grip, the knife nearly halfway through the damn tentacle. Then the other tentacle came like a whip, slapping around my waist and reinforced the grip on the woman. All three of us shifted, sliding on the ground. The woman screamed and the man grunted. Back, I whispered, glancing upwards. The knife was almost through. You almost done, the man yelled, straining harder. I saw the third tendril coming down the same time as the man did. He pulled, desperate, and I cut furiously. And suddenly the tension disappeared. Time slowed, and we flew apart like a rubber band. The man yelled as his arm missed mine, and the third tendril wrapped around me. The woman stared up in horror as I rose into hell. And when my clone rose into that accursed thing's mouth, I tried not to flinch. I tried to calm my fear. You, you've done it before, R right, Evan? I whimpered, terrified. I did better than I thought I would. End of chapter. Chapter 21. I managed to retain consciousness. A feat that I wasn't sure served as a testament to my willpower or a symbol of my misery. Since it was probably both, I shoved that trauma into a small box I mentally labeled deaths. A collection of experiences I doubt anyone could match. Not more than once, at least. The true driving force behind my ability to stay awake after being eaten alive. The abysmal feeling of overwhelming pain and mind-mellowing nothingness assaulted me as a phantom sensation. A shiver across my skin, a shake in my bones and flesh. I, uh, I mastered myself. I wanted to watch the thing die, that was all. Yet the desire burned inside of me like a fire, worse than the one I had set to the root mother. An all-consuming flame that ate away at even my memories of my death. Anger, no, hatred, rage, a singular target I could blame for all of the cell. If only for now, if only for as long as it would last before being brought to ash. That was enough. My original self stood there, staring for nearly an hour. The survivors below found themselves, their friends, the acquaintances, and organized themselves 
arguments, discussions, disbelief, and horrible recollection. Still, I stared. The high-pitched keening of the root mother, a faint music to my ears. I almost wished I could hear it again, that I was infected once more, just so that I could hear its cries. Did it make me sick, or just as twisted? The fire raged, an inferno to my rival, my own, flames licking upwards out of the windows, each fickle part of the fire a torrent of heat, towering like an elemental skyscraper themselves, hunting, searching for fuel. For the field boss. It started at its roots, its tendrils which stretched all over the clearing. They curled up, drying and crackling in the heat. When the first lick of flame touched the root mother's main body, it was as if someone had opened a portal to howl, just to hear the sounds. The skyscraper collapsed, falling away from the swamp tree. With it, the field boss toppled over, curling up in the heat. A plume of fire, debris, and ash erupted as the impact shook the clearing. Every part of it, wriggling, rising, and dying. When the flames died down, everyone was watching it, wondering who had set the fire, wondering who had killed the thing and saved them all. I sent a clone in to make sure that it was dead. Hey, careful, that thing's dangerous. Someone jumped to his feet, calling after me. Another voice called to him, and he pointed to me, but my clone was already lost in the smoke, coughing, going through the ashes. I stepped forward, a figure amongst the black snowfall. Notice, you have defeated a field boss, Root Mother Hivemind. You have gained the title Hivemind Dominator. Notice, you are the first in the world to slay a field boss. You have gained the title First Slayer. Notice, you are the first in the world to slay a field boss alone. You have gained the title Solo Slayer. Notice, due to the attainment of multiple titles through a single monumental feat, their effects will be modified and consolidated. You have gained the title Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Notice, you have leveled up multiple times, level 23. Notice, you have gained the class skill Solo Sanctuary. The notices came at me with gentle suddenness, an easy immediacy, enough for my mental gaze to flick towards them but not be distracted. I read, skimmed through the notices, too tired to care for anything but confirmation. Even as my mental perusal paused on some of them, only one thing mattered at this moment. I had done it. I had killed her. I dropped to my knees, plopping down in a cloud of ash, coughing, Crying, I, I did it! Notice, congratulations, you have achieved a feat worthy of recognition on a global scale. Would you like your name broadcast? Congratulations, you have achieved the feat worthy of recognition on a local scale. Would you like your name broadcast? Recognition? None of this was motivated by the need for glory. It was a need for a counterblow against the apocalypse. That something could be done. I shrugged off the notices faintly, understanding their significance and all too tired to really care. Emotions flooded me, and I navigated my way out of the smoke, finding people staring. Not at me, but at something more. A couple of strangers found me, passing over me, and then I saw the same thing they did, a message waiting for me to notice in that same unobtrusive manner. Only different, grander somehow. World notice! Someone has achieved a feat worthy of global recognition. He is the first in the world to slay a field boss, as well as the first to do so alone. Area notice. Someone has achieved a feat worthy of local recognition, 
The field boss root mother hive mind has been defeated. Most of the people were focused on getting their bearings, but there was enough talk in the air, even as I was ferried over to a number of our people needing medical treatment. There was a multitude of neck injuries. Hey, you guys seeing this, right? A man groaned, looking towards the cloud of ashes. The spiel boss, that's... That was... That, wasn't it? S someone killed it, a woman said blankly, staring. Alone, another injured person said. Who was it? I heard there was someone saving us. At the end, did he set the fire? But, but, but how the hell did he do it alone? I, I, I can't. The first cheer broke out the silence, and the aftermath was such a lonesome volume as to raise heads and turn stiff necks. It turned mine, too, and I found a woman there, her pair of blue eyes, burnette hair. She was just another face amongst the crowd, tears streaming down her face, pain written across her features. I could have found the same on anyone else. But she was the one I had saved. In the last moments of my clone's life, I'd remember. It was the first time I'd sacrificed myself for anyone. And she was yelling. An unintelligible yell. A cry of emotion that was unbecoming of her. Before all this, she would have gotten hundreds of stares. Now, the cry filled the chest with emotion. And hundreds of people began to cheer. Chapter 22 In the midst of it all, I turned around, the original me, and found a glowing chest. I stared at it, my mind immediately flashing back to the storage closet in the science building, that uncommon chest. This one was markedly different. It was a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. Stylistic roots lined the entire thing, enough to be real themselves. Yet it retained a glossy finish that hinted at a promised value. It was larger, too. Staring at it, I realized there was the style of the root mother hive mind, and my thoughts caught up to what I was seeing. Item, epic boss chest. Chests are hidden troves of treasure, capable of holding great boons and riches. This chest is themed around the field boss root mother hive mind. This chest has the potential to hold epic valuables, either in effect, rarity, or quality. A strange object had appeared before me, my original self. It gave way to immediate caution, rather than joyous celebration. How had it known? That I was the one. No one else did. No one else could. So how had it known to reward me? How had this chest gotten here? I was alone now, without any clones around me. Vulnerable. Exposed. It was not a pleasant feeling. And yet, the part of me that dared stare at the apocalypse and question reality had already come to a tentative conclusion. Whatever governed my strange new abilities, my skills, the attributes, and these notices, it was a neutral thing, objective and omnipotent, but not hostile, not friendly. I relaxed minutely. I hadn't expected a reward, and in hindsight, I probably should have. Thinking on the effects of my spider silk backpack, which had come with a regular uncommon chest, I couldn't stop. Against my better judgment, the shot of excitement ran through me. It was glowing purple, a soft light emanating from the chest itself. I opened it without preamble, intensely curious. Item, ring of the hive mind. An elaborately crafted ring of grasping roots. It possesses the psychic energies of the root by the hive mind, greatly enhancing the wearer's mental faculties. It is imbued with the essence of a hive mind, allowing the wearer to support an additional companion entity. Intelligence, wisdom, willpower, and charisma increase by five. 
Never alone total clones increased by one. Item. Regenerator Symbiote. An organism that binds to a single host. Once bound, the symbiote improves all biological functions, increasing vitality and enhances recovery effective upon the host. Constitution increased by 10. Natural regeneration and recovery efforts increased by 80%. Item. Living Root Armor. An armor of living roots that molds across the body. When the wearer is in danger, the roots adapt, shifting to reinforce the wearer's most vulnerable areas. The suit offers complete protection and coverage, controlled by the wearer's will. In order, a small jewelry box, decorated no differently than the chest itself. A small glass jar, corked, containing a moving blue liquid. And lastly, what looked to be a wooden gauntlet, made of roots. These were the rewards, along with the title, skill, and levels that were deemed worth my effort. I couldn't say that I was compensated fairly. I truly had no benchmark. Instead, well, I was wondering if being smarter might help. I slipped the ring of the hive mind on and felt my world expand. Things became immediately clear, as if I'd had days to meditate on things. The ring. If these items were component pieces of my total effort, the material ones at least, then the ring of the hive mind composed 85, no, 90% of that reward. The other items barely compared to its effects. I hadn't thought of it a moment before, but the ring was worth 20 levels, five stat points in each mental attribute, approximately two more clones due to the nature of Never Alone, besides the fact of its hive mind effect. Three extra clones in total. Maybe the clones were a minor effect when you took it all into consideration, but for the raw stats the ring gave, Stats that were technically multiplied across every clone I had. And those numbers weren't just some values that determined how many clones I could make. They were me. Aspects of my person. And the mental ones had all been bumped up. I couldn't tell if they were just singular effects or a combination of them all. Suddenly, I could remember math equations, scientific facts, random lectures, and arbitrary articles throughout my life. I could understand why my parents divorced, how cruel that it was, but also see that there was nothing I could do. I could open that box of memories labeled deaths and stare into it, unflinching. I could cringe at all my past interactions, seeing all the missed social cues, the awkwardness, the... advances? It took my world anew and breathed a new air. My mind cleared and I realized I was exhausted. But I couldn't rest yet, not when there were still things to address. The Regenerator's Symbiote I debated its use. My logical brain latched onto its objective benefits. In the end, I flashed back to the feeling of wrongness when the root mother had connected with my clone. I wasn't sure if it would be anything like that, but I couldn't trust allowing a foreign organism to bond with me on a good faith alone. Whatever that meant, for now, it went into my spider silk backpack. And this living root armor, I said to myself. No additional details, no tribute bonuses or effects, is it because everything's right there in the description? At the very least, I didn't seem too intensive and involved as a symbiote. I created a clone and let him put it on instead. Third put his hand into the gauntlet, and I watched the roots expand. They crawled down his arm, under his clothes, and shifted over his skin. It felt like I put on another layer, barely noticeable, somehow. I'd leave it on him for the time being. I turned my attention to the new title, was it solo instinct or just my own intuition that gave me goosebumps more than anticipating what was in the chest? Of all the rewards, the title was a singular reward for the entire feat. 
for being the first worldwide to kill a full boss, for doing it alone, for just killing the damn thing. A combination of them all. Title Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Few possess the capacity to challenge insurmountable odds as you do. You are the first in the world to defeat any field boss and the first in the world to do so alone. If defeating the rude mother hive mind under these circumstances, you are forever distinguished by your feet. All attributes increased by ten. You gained a telepathy skill. You are immune to external influences upon your will. The moment I regarded the title, my world expanded. I thought I'd had earlier. Now the universe opened to me, my eyes going wide, not in shock or surprise, but in absolute awe. My body filled with newfound strength and health. My muscles limbered, and I felt total control over myself. And I saw, for the first time in my life, the world became vibrant. Every buzz of an insect, every light breeze, the scent of ash in the air, and the loamy soil below. Everything was brought to life beyond what I knew. My mind didn't stretch. It grew and became more encompassing, enveloping the entirety of my life. I remembered more. Memories of my parents before they died. So clear, so sorrowfully crisp. I saw my patterns through my life, the depression, the anger, and felt the emotion so distinctly. I remembered now the people I'd indirectly caused trouble for. And I let it go. All of it. Staring at my hands unfamiliar hands, rough, somewhat calloused. I almost didn't recognize them. I stepped away from another clone of myself and took in the stranger, trying to find heaven. Here stood a man who had taken down a field boss, who'd done it alone, and yet I looked into those pale green eyes and, with a breath, I found myself staring back. If I was Evan winced before, then I was more him than ever. One hundred stat points flooded into me, and I felt alive. Name Evan Winst, level 23. Title, Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Class, Solo. Strength, 16. Constitution, 17. Dexterity, 15. Agility, 16. Perception, 19. Intelligence, 20 plus 5. Wisdom, 27 plus 5. Willpower, 29 plus 5. Charisma, 14 plus 5. Luck, 14. Stat points, 18. Skills, Never Alone. Low profile, solo instinct, solo sanctuary, telepathy. The last thing to check were the skills. Telepathy. That was the reward for doing something so hopelessly against the odds that it was renowned worldwide. The notion sounded so fantastical. My other skills so far had no reference for. But telepathy. That was something people thought of when prompted with superpowers. Skill telepathy. The capacity to perceive and interact with the mind, consciousness, and thoughts of both oneself and others. To sense, communicate, and influence other thinking entities. As soon as I regarded the skill, my mind was abuzz, not uncomfortably. More like I was something that I'd never felt or sensed before. And I realized it wasn't me. Not the original me, that is. But second and fourth down below, sensing the minds of the survivors surrounding them. They took to experimenting while I considered the other skill. Skill. Solo Sanctuary. A personal space tied to the soul from which one may enter or exit. The size, design, and amenities are directly reflected of one's level, abilities, and inclination. The sanctuary may only be entered by the owner. I walked forward immediately, reality blurring around me. Two steps, three steps, and suddenly I was inside of the building. A modern home with black pallet, furnished in dark wood and cool glass. A kitchen 
Bathroom, living room, bedroom. The result of thirteen levels. I couldn't even bother to question the nature of skills. The reason behind this one, and why it was only this one. All I knew was I deserved this. I fecking deserved it. I nearly cried in the shower. Then I had the best sleep in my life. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the Tier 5 members, Marky, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnolds, Oakfield, Lord Azrakul, and it's difficult to pronounce. Thank you very much.